Take your love to town. It wasn't me who started that old crazy Asian war. But I was proud to go and do my patriotic chore. And yes, it's true. Good morning, that morning, I'm morning. Not the man Kate to Ruby, be. don't take your love to town. Their take on the classic Mel Tillis tune there. Cable Smith. Welcome in everybody into episode 585 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here. Got uh, a great show lined up for you today and I'll tell you all about it momentarily. But uh, first, I got to do something really cool last weekend, uh, something that we started some Seven years ago, my buddy uh, Glenn Underwood and myself, um, much to his credit, he's the one that had the ranch. I just kind of had the idea of throwing a big hunting slash music, country music party at his ranch. And so Zane Williams played the first one. He shot a nice axis deer, and then um, he got a little pricey. Zane found some success and no longer wanted to trade it out, trade the hunt out for an axis. So we ended up, I think we took a year off maybe before Guns and Guitars 2, and then every year since then, Max Stalling, his lovely bride Heather, um, and then Mark David Manders have all come down and played a couple nights worth of concerts, sandwiched in between Axis Deer or Black Buck hunting for those who uh, wanted to hunt, and then always some non-hunting guests, spouses, girlfriends, just folks who wanted to come check out the music uh, have come as well. Well... Glenn sold the ranch, so we had to come up with another game plan, and so we still did guns and guitars, but we did it at Joshua Creek Ranch in Comfort, Texas this weekend, a beautiful bird hunting place. They also do free-range axis deer hunts, but we just did a skeet shoot on Saturday morning, still had the uh, Friday night and Saturday night concerts with two of my favorite singer-songwriters, and Max and Mark have been friends for such a long time, damn near 30 years. So the banter and interaction and the stories between those two longtime friends is uh, is worth the price of admission in and of itself. Then throw Heather's fiddle playing in there and whoo, uh, hell of a good time. Plus, at Joshua Creek, we were able to float the river. Uh, but I think the highlight of the weekend for me was Aaron, my lovely wife, um, did her first ever skeet shoot. with, And I let her shoot a 20-gauge. I didn't beat her up, but man, that shoulder was black and blue only she was only outdone by my youngest brother who is not an outdoorsman at all uh chris <laughs> he sent a picture when we all got home sunday he sent a picture to my phone and his chest was purple and i showed it to henry and henry who's eight years old goes why is his chest purple you're supposed to put the shotgun on your shoulder <laughs> wow the difference between my eight-year-old son's knowledge of uh all things outdoors and, and hunting and shooting compared to my 30-year-old brother. It's uh, night and day uh, and not in a good way for him. But he likes his mimosas and his brunch and I uh, love him for it. But we had a hell of a good time. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, run it back next year. Um, anyway, you know what to do. Pull up a stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because off the top we'll be joined by Alaskan Tyler Friel. 
lifelong big game hunter, uh, writer for Outdoor Life magazine, and Alaskan resident. I've got a lot of important stuff to get into with Tyler because there's this faction of the hunting community who, for whatever reason, I hear continually and in, in leading up to the election saying, vote for Biden, vote for Biden, vote for Biden. My question is why? Was Trump really this scary threat to hunting and the environment? I, I never saw it, but maybe Tyler did as someone who's in Alaska right there on you know at ground level. Because when you're telling someone to vote for Biden, you're, that's, a, that's a shot at the Second Amendment. When the man says he wants to take our guns away, he means it, people. He doesn't just say it. So for me, it's a major contradiction. I have to get to the bottom of it. Was Trump really this horrible threat to our way of life and to our resources? Mm, we'll find out when Tyler joins us here. Uh, plus, the, the guy's killed more doll sheep, uh, mountain goats, moose than he you know can shake a stick at. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Then our old friend, but it's you know what, and it will be here, and we'll talk concealed carry. Uh, holsters both inside and outside the waistband and then constitutional carry what does that mean for the holster industry i mean think about it holster is something we never talk about on this show but something that we all use right so um excited to to have versa carry jump on here today and probably have a discount code for you guys as well if you're interested in picking up uh, a holster for yourself so certainly excited to have Andrew jump on with us as well. That's what we're going to do today. I'm looking forward to it. Before we knock out a quick break, let's do a giveaway. How about a Vortex Optics cap and t-shirt from our friends over at Vortex? Just email the word freedom. That's freedom to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you are entered into this week's Vortex Optics giveaway. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up next, we're joined by Alaskan Tyler Friel. Got a lot to get into right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Welcome to Texas. Don't anybody get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We're glad y'all came to see us. Now don't forget to go back home. Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. 
In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. North to Alaska, go north for Russia's own. North to Alaska, go north for Russia's own. Big Sam left Seattle in the year of 92. There's a classic from Johnny Horton, North to Alaska, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you today. We're about to head north to Alaska ourselves. Visit with Outdoor Life writer and uh, fellow podcast host Tyler Friel, passionate sheep hunter, among other things. Um, a lot of pressing stuff to get into concerning Alaska. And uh, we'll do that momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. They've got a chapter in Alaska, they've got a chapter in Texas, and one everywhere in between. SCI is passionate about protecting your rights as hunters, about educating the non-hunting public, and of course, conservation. Join us. Why not? I'm a member. You should be as well. For more info, check us out at safariclub.org. And with that being said, let's bring him on right now. Alaskan resident, uh, writer, and passionate big game hunter, Tyler Friel. Thanks for jumping on, brother. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, so tell us where you're joining us from, first of all. I am in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. And now are you a native Alaskan or kind of just get there as fast as you could? Well, I was, my dad was born and grew up in Fairbanks and um, he had moved back down to college. Was, um, his parents were from Colorado and after my grandpa had passed away, my grandma moved him back down. And then he had, he had lived up here on and off, you know, after he got out of high school. And, uh, I, I was born in Colorado, grew up there, mostly there. We lived, we lived up here for a little bit, but mostly there for till I was 16. And then, um, the whole family packed up, moved up here. And so it's been, uh, uh, over half my life now that I've been up here and it's mm-hmm. definitely, definitely home. Yeah. Well, I see um, one, two, three, four, at least four huge doll sheep rams behind you. So uh, yeah, there's I'm, a I'm few so- more. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! So you, you get to hunt them every year, right? Yeah. Yeah. As a resident, you get a tag. I mean, I think all of us that live in the lower forty-eight are are jealous of that. Uh, I think you could probably get a brown bear tag every year. Yeah, much. we can get, and it depended the. Bears kind of depends on the area. Most of the state, you can get a grizzly bear, brown bear every year. There's some areas um, where you have to wait four years before you can kill another one. And it used to be statewide, you know, you had to wait four years, but the population has, you know, whether the population's changed or people have just become more aware that there's a lot more grizzly bears running around than people realized. Um, Either way, you know, they found it appropriate. In some areas, you can kill two a year. Oh, wow. Well, plus you get a moose tag every year. Yeah. Uh, moose, you can, some area, well, I mean, some areas you can kill more, but, um, uh, the, 
you can kill some some areas one caribou some areas you know two caribou some areas five caribou um or more depending on where you're at mm-hmm. um you can get mountain certain areas you can get mountain goat tags for you know just for free you can get uh you know so moose sheep caribou mountain goats um black bears you can kill anywhere from one to five a year depending on where you're at um but your um, favorite thing is sheep yeah i would say so i yes. i've been been a long time uh long time sheep addict so yeah. <laughs> that's overall been been what i've devoted most of my time to oh i mean that's the dream for me someday you know but for someone from a non-alaskan resident you're looking at 25 grand or something like that uh just yeah the I, game. I think that's more more on the expensive side i don't really keep too close tabs on what everywhere's running but the you know the prices can vary depending on where you're at but i'd say like the 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 spots I would go hunt if I was coming to Alaska to hunt on a guided hunt would be probably like, you know, 20 to 23. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you done any other sheep hunting or is it all nope. doll sheep? No, nope, all doll sheep. Okay. Yep. So you're I, kind of uh, in the same boat as the rest of us on that. Point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as, as far as going and getting other sheep, you know, maybe, some, you know, someday maybe the opportunity, either I'm going to have to be very intentional and, plan for a lot of years to do it or yeah. just wait and maybe it'll fall into my lap maybe it won't but i'm pretty fortunate mm-hmm. with the opportunities that i do have so um i you know there's there's in not just sheep but there's i mean there's a variety of stuff in places there's so many places up here that you could you could go you could do something different every year and, and never really run out of stuff to do what is your uh what is your favorite caliber for doll sheep I don't know if I really have a favorite one. Um, I've, I've killed a bunch of them with a 25 out six. That's a really good sheep rifle. Um, mm-hmm. I've killed several of them with the six, five Creed more that everybody loves to hate, but it's a oh, great yeah. sheep. It's a great sheep gun. Um, I have a, a custom that's a, it's a custom sheep rifle. That's a, they call it a 27 O'Connor. It's basically, it's a 280 Ackley improved neck down to 270. Um, and that's a, a race horse that does, that does really well on them too. I've killed a few sheep with that. Um, yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't say I really have, really yeah. have a favorite one, but, but anything in that kind of medium, light, medium rifle, you know, any deer, any deer rifle caliber would be a great sheep gun. They're really not, so they're not very tough. They're not, very they're not tough. tough. Okay. No, mountain mountain goats are are kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Those things are about as as tough for packing lead as any critter I've seen. They just they just they don't give up the ghost very easy. Um yeah. but doll but doll sheep, you know, they're not very tough. If you you know, even if you're off a little bit and you you still get a solid hit on the animal, you're going to get you're going to recover them. Uh-huh. Um but you know, they're they don't, they usually don't go very far. You know, sometimes they'll just stand there when you shoot, you know, they don't even react to it sometimes and then they'll just tip over. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, so tell us um, a little bit about yourself as far as like, what do you, what do you do for a living? I know you have a Tundra talk. It's a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's kind of a side of found I've had to do different things for a living. My wife's a nurse. So uh-huh. uh, and- mine too. And so, you know, she works the hospital and I've been, I was a, uh, mechanical insulator by trade and it's kind of what i grew up i um through college i i did that and 
I got an engineer, mechanical engineering degree, but after college, I was so sick of school that I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't have any interest in going to go into an office job. So, and I had already turned out as a journeyman. So I just kept working in the construction trades and, and, uh, a few years ago, I finally quit doing that. And my, I'd been, I've been writing for outdoor life for about 10 years mm-hmm. and that, that work had picked up to the point where, you know, with my wife and I's work schedules and kids and all the factors you have to consider, I was able to, to quit working construction and just write, write for outdoor life. And, uh, which involves doing some, you know, basic videos, stuff like that. Um, kind of we've worn a lot of hats with it, but, um, you know, content producing. And then, uh, I decided to get into the podcast world, um, about three, a little over three years ago and started that podcast. And that's finally, you know, making, make enough money to make it worth, to make right. it worth doing in addition to just enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But you don't outfit. No, I don't. Okay. I have worked, I have worked as an assistant guide, um, periodically, but I don't, I haven't done that in quite a while. Well, I could pick your brain all day on these things that I'd love to do at some point in time. I mean, doll sheep, wow, that's up there near the top of the old bucket list. Mountain goat as well. However, we've got a lot to get into, and I know this was a pretty short segment, but now that we know you a little bit, we are going to knock out a quick break, come back, and get into what's going on in Alaska right now today. And, uh, Tyler, I want to get your thoughts on the last administration. Was Trump really that bad for hunting and conservation? Um, we'll do that after the break. That segment brought to you by Mossberg Firearms. Uh, like Tyler said, 6.5 Creedmoor, one of his favorite choices for doll sheep. And if I ever go on a sheep pump, I-, I might take mine. I don't know. I might take a 7 mag. Here's the cool thing. You can get any caliber you want in Mossberg's Patriot lineup. You can get beautiful walnut stock if you're more of like a a sit in a blind type of guy where you're not going to beat it up, or you can get a synthetic stock if you're going to the Brooks Range in Alaska where you know it's going to be raining nonstop, right? They've got everything from a 22-250 all the way up to a 375 Ruger, and everything in between. You can find the Patriot lineup at mossberg.com. We'll be right back with more with Outdoor Life's Tyler Friel on SCI's like Lone Star Hey guys, Cable here, and if you're listening to this show, you probably like ARs. And I'm not talking about antler restrictions, I'm talking about, you know, ARs, modern sporting rifles. And Timber Creek Outdoors has the best way I've found to take your AR to the next level. It's the Enforcer Kit. It features high-end performance parts and jaw-dropping looks. It's perfect for sportsmen, competitors, firearms, enthusiasts, and people who trust their lives to their equipment, like you and I. When combined together, these parts improve usability, as well as ergonomics, big word there, and dependability of any small framed modern sporting rifle. Timber Creek products are manufactured by Americans in the USA, God bless America, and they implement uncompromising quality control and offer a lifetime warranty. They've got a bunch of different color options, something for everybody. I've got a Hunter Green Enforcer Kit on my 224 Valkyrie. Absolutely love it. You will too. Check out the Enforcer Kit at TimberCreekOutdoorsInc.com. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. 
Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Snaking to wear and stock shirts and his boots stay shine. Keeps that old truck neat as a pin. Picture gazes down from his visor at an empty dash where his fit cup should have been. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. We're still visiting with Outdoor Life writer Tyler Friel, a fellow podcast host himself and big time, big game hunter hailing from Fairbanks, Alaska. Lots to get into on the Alaskan front. But first, this segment brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Fusion X. It's the latest evolution in Stealth Cam's lineup of affordable cell cameras. It's such a luxury to have an idea of what's on your property and which bucks are on the hit list, you know, as far as managing your herd. Don't want to shoot young bucks. Okay, well, I know I've got bucks A, B, and C that are five and a half years old. They're green lighted. Boom. You know, you've got an inventory. Same thing with feral hogs. When they're showing up and where? Those things are a nuisance. Let's put some of them down, right? The Stealth Cam Fusion X can be found right there at StealthCam.com. Tyler, thank you so much for sticking around through the break, man. Enjoying the conversation and and certainly looking forward to getting into the meat of this discussion right now. Appreciate it. Well, so Alaska's been kind of in the headlines a lot here of late when it comes to, and I forget the unit, but we had on uh, Lewis Cusack of uh, oh, yeah. the uh, president of the SCI Alaska chapter and um, does a lot of stuff with taking wounded veterans on uh, moose hunts and stuff like that up there, grizzly hunts. Mm-hmm. And when this story broke, we had him on. Um, I figured we'd get your take. I think some things have changed since um, the initial uh, news came out that, and I forget how many acres it is, but it's like the it's like the size of like what Georgia or something like that, like something like that. It's yeah. uh, like sixty million acres. And and tell us exactly just a refresher on what exactly they are trying to do there in terms of preventing people from from hunting on federal land. Yeah, well, they and I guess as a little bit of like brief background, mm-hmm. there's in, in Alaska there's primarily the state management of wildlife, which is the way, you know, constitutionally it's set up that the state's supposed to manage the wildlife. Well, with uh, ANILCA, which is, uh, I think it's Alaska National Interest Lands Claims Act in the 80s, is the late 70s, early 80s, that brought in a separate set of regulations in certain areas to um, cover, you know, subsistence hunting and make sure that people that um, are subsistence hunters and like truly do, you know, rely on wild meat um, to meet their needs to, to make sure that they have that. And that's, and they have a continued, you know, they can um, propagate the, the opportunity that they have for that. So there's two, there's two like sometimes conflicting um, sets of management agencies for Alaska. And what happened here is a, a, you know, and we call it an advisory council 
um, made up of representatives from several com uh, rural communities in this area. It's unit um, 2023 and 26A, which is basically the northwest quarter of Alaska. Mm -hmm. They put in a proposal to, uh, and there's some some word craft in there, just the way it's, but the intention of it is to coming into that unit and hunting on federal lands, hunting caribou on federal lands or moose um, for the, the fall hunting season. So basically they picked the time frame where everybody comes up there to hunt. And um, we're trying to close down all federal lands to people who do not live in that specific area. Even I couldn't go up there and hunt during yeah. that time if it were to pass. Um, That's what Lewis uh, said. Their he argument also said um, like that the actual foot traffic into there was like hunters were killing like three, four hundred something caribou. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. No. Out and of 40. What is your population estimated now? 40, it was like 400. Was it? Two, no, uh, what was it? it was 200. I'm trying, but it's been a while since I looked at the it's numbers. It's above their it long-term several. Goals. It's Yeah, it's several hundred thousand caribou, and it's well above the threshold that, that the state fishing game and the, and the multi-agency working group that works to manage the herd. It's above the threshold where they recommend any management action or yeah. harvest reduction. Um and non, you know, non-local hunters are only harvesting like 3% or so of the harvest, you know, are only taking 3% of the caribou harvest. The rest are, are local users that are, that are taking that. And their, their argument is that was that these non, non-local traffic, because people will fly, you know, maybe to Anchorage and then shuttle to these smaller, some of these smaller communities, get on a bush plane and fly out. They're not necessarily hunting right around these communities. Um, but the communities see them and there's, there is some air, you know, a lot of air traffic and stuff dropping people off and coming back and forth. But, uh, in recent years, the caribou have been doing different things than they normally do. And the locals are blaming non-local hunters and the air traffic and whatnot for, for causing that change when, oh, what it boils down to is there's no, there's no scientific evidence that, that any of that is true. Mm -hmm. um, there's indications that other things have caused the caribou to behave slightly. And I mean, they're caribou, they don't know what they're doing tomorrow. So, yeah. um, you know, well, so, it, so what are some of those other things that have been thrown into the, the pot? Uh, primarily the weather. Yeah. Um, I figured, you know, certain, certain, yeah, certain, certain weather issues. And I've heard, you know, different you know, changes in browse and stuff like that um, have changed what they're doing and maybe their route or their timing. Um, but what it, and, and when you, you listen, you read meeting minutes or listen into some of these meetings, um, I get much more of an impression that it's, it's more of a, like a resentment of the outsiders rather than, than a lack of availability of food resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, that, that's what it would clearly, if you're in the hundreds of thousands of animals and the people that they're blaming are killing 3% of the harvest, not the population, 3% of the overall harvest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just, it seems like there's you know, a lot more and, to it than. Yeah. And eye. when, 
and when this came up, because it, it was put forward as a special action request to close the season this year, starting you know, for this year. Mm-hmm. And I, when that popped up, I, I did a podcast episode with Larry Bartlett, who has, um, he helps guys plan hunts and, and uh, sells a lot out. He's like, he's the guy who came up with the tag game bags and um, a lot of rafts. He's kind of a float big time float hunting guy and and spent a ton of time in that area and he was indicating that the areas that the the people are complaining about hunters shooting the first caribou as they're coming through and changing their route is state land anyway mm. you, you know there, there's just it's so they don't have a claim know, to it i mean no, it's federal and, land it's your it's as much your land and my land as yeah, it is and, their he, land. and even there in this federal subsistence board can't do anything about state land anyway so it's just, you know, most people view it as just an effort to keep outsiders out. And it's not new. They, this has popped up, you know, because one of these got passed in our game unit 13, which is, is on the south side, you know, in the middle south Alaska range mm-hmm. and south from there. Um, certain federal lands in, in unit 13 got closed to caribou hunting, even there, those, even though there's no, to get close to caribou hunting to non-local users, even though there's, you know, there's no shortage or problem with the caribou herd there. So that quietly passed. And that's how a lot of things, these things work is they're used to nobody paying attention because it's complicated and it takes a lot of effort to keep track of all this stuff that's going on and different board cycles and proposals and all this. Um, and so no one pays attention typically. And so the only input the boards get are from a few people who want it to pass and they pass it. And then before you know it, you can't go hunt on federal land. Right. You know, right. In, in a certain area. So that, that, that passed in unit 13. And I think they're in there. I think it's just going to keep happening until it gets a major court challenge or, or something happens to um, stymie and let people figure out that they're not going to get anywhere by doing that because they they're they're, the sentiment is not terribly uncommon in rural parts of alaska that you know people don't like outsiders Uh yeah um what were your thoughts and what what has her role been as far as the new secretary of the interior uh deb howland you know when she was appointed i think there was a big concern about preservation versus conservation like what we're seeing now is you know that's preservation not conservation like we're just gonna tell people they can't come hunt well that doesn't fund conservation at all like that doesn't do anything just closes it off to you and i has she been instrumental in this or has she had anything to do with it because i was pretty skeptical of her appointment yeah oh and i'm still skeptical of her um like her stances on public trapping and shortly after she was appointed new mexico i think they lost trapping on public land which is where she's from um yeah and i don't i don't think she's had any you know has has had the time to be involved in any of this but i don't i don't think it's going to be good you know she she hasn't had the time or the concrete stuff that we can lay out you know as she's been she's been in her position but um her you know um the way and and preservation versus conservation is is a big deal up here and a lot of the people that get appointed or get jobs in these federal agencies um are you know preservationists and they you know fundamentally believe different things about the way things should run and they a lot you know there are people that want to make alaska into their own giant park Mm -hmm. and nobody can touch it 
Now, you know, the, the convenient thing of this is some of these, you know, some of the people in these federal agencies will help aid in, in these proposals or help facilitate them because it pushes, you know, and some, some of this may be just my own conspiracy theories, but it, it pushes the ball farther towards keeping everybody out or, or reducing the amount of people that are using these federal lands. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of examples of, of actions like that all over Alaska, you know, there are, you know, there's a park service director that's been in charge for a while. That's thankfully getting moved out of the state, um, you know, oversaw directly quite a few super controversial things, including, you know, like har- you know, harassing different harassment of people and, and whatever that's kind of getting on the, on the sidetrack, but um, long story short, I don't think, um, that lady's been in there long enough to really, you know, get a track record, but I don't think it's, I'm not optimistic about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this other, this lady that just got appointed to be head of BLM, the tree spiker or whatever she was, eco-terrorist. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it's people, you know, people like that put in positions like that will facilitate, you know, written, you know, they, and they're not, they're not stupid. Well, it's no They'll, different than David Chipman being nominated to run the uh, ATF. Oh, like, here's ATF, an anti-gun yeah, guy. The, the, here's an anti-hunting guy. Yeah, lady that's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in charge of the BLM. Oh, okay. Well, the writing's yeah. on the wall as far as what you know. Your thoughts on hunting? Yeah, and and a lot of them won't even you know won't won't even admit to being anti-hunting. But if it's you know it's and this is a whole divide in the hunting community itself. So, oh well well, I'm not against this kind of hunting because it's, that's okay. If you're doing, if you're doing it my way, um, et cetera. So yeah, then that it's just not, it's not going to be good. And there's going to be people put in positions of power and it's nothing new, you know, regulating to reduce the amount of people is nothing new up here. And I think we're just going to see more and more of it and they're going to, and they're going to facilitate it. And in ways, you know, like these federal proposals, you know, it's technically coming from the community. So I think, you know, if I was them, I'd be all for it because then you're saying, oh, well, the community wants this, like the people here want this when it's really just, you know, using them to further their own agenda. Yeah. Yeah. So stay out is the main message here from yeah. these local communities. Uh-huh. Um, man, that sucks. Let me ask you as far as shifting gears just a little bit. Um, the response by, let's just say, prominent organizations, um, individuals within the hunting community. I waited for weeks and I really didn't see many people talking about it. I, I, I had Lewis on before I ever saw some of these other entities say a word about it. Why do you think some of them have stayed mom on the topic? Uh, I, th- I think they try to be really careful. Some of these, some of these, folks like and it's a bone i've you know had to pick for a long time they're they're all super cozy and pro federal agency you know and then that's a big that's a big thing in alaska because the feds aren't everybody's friends typically up here you know there's there's some some resentment and a lot of you know a lot of stuff that goes on there's so there's that angle and i just don't i think there's more important things to some of those those people, you know, I kind of push the, try to push the buttons a little bit and, you know, put, put some of that, some of those, you know, put these issues in a spot where they have no choice, but to give their opinion on them or, Mm -hmm. or give some, give some input on them. 
And, you know, ultimately that's the goal because that's what we need if, if we expect this stuff to not, not be rammed through. They're used to it going through quietly without anybody knowing. And, you know, it just showed is this, they were talking about closing down 60 million acres of land. Mm-hmm. You know, if a farmer, if, if a rancher drags a log across a public stream access road in Montana, they're going to be all over it in 20 minutes. Right. You know, like the, the consequences and the far reaching consequences of this are, are pretty extreme. Um, so and it, it took a little bit. And it was a little frustrating because it took me 30 minutes to or less than 30 minutes to, you know, get this proposal, read it, what's going on, you know, then instantly go look up, you know, published current data on the caribou herds and, you know, and well, is there really an issue with the caribou with the caribou that needs <laughs> that we need to reduce the hunter yeah. numbers? I mean, that's and the first you, thing I did too was go look at the population numbers and trends. Yeah, and, and, and you I, can and, you see know, I have never even been to Alaska, you know. But yeah, and they see they have it laid out. Re, I mean, it's it's laid out very very digestibly, if that's even a word. Um, you know, and then it gives non-local hunter numbers and harvest data and says some of the issues that are happening, you know, so it's, it was, it's pretty, pretty black and white, you know, I don't know who, who, you know, some places are worried about making, making angry by, by saying the wrong thing about it, maybe, but um, yeah, it was a little frustrating that people are being, were being quiet and it's still there, you know, since then they've had, they've had the, the, the actual board meeting and have decided to defer the action um, until next year asking for more you know information and the sentiment that that a lot of people got listening in on the meeting is that they really wanted to pass it but they couldn't justify it scientifically so they want more time to try and dig something up that they can use to justify it and maybe maybe hope that it doesn't get as much attention next year because they weren't really, they were expecting this to go through quietly. There was only, they only they had one. Anytime they do a proposal like this, they have to announce it, you know, which they did on the Department of Interior's website. They have to offer um, public input of some type. And they had a, like it was two or three hour telemeeting scheduled. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Where you had to call into this meeting and sign up to say your, give your testimony. Um and we we ended up getting so many people to email them and harass them that they the the federal agency that they opened the opportunity for a written comment as well, which was was a positive. And I really don't think they were expecting the kickback. I think it was like four hours or so that the meeting went um, before you know, and, and it's difficult. And they did it in the course in the evening here, which is late at night anywhere. Anywhere right. in the central U.S. or 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 farther. Yeah, Lewis sent me of, the link to that one, and I was like, "Man, I, I'm like taking kids to soccer practice." Then, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, no, uh, it, and I think I think I it may not be constructed to be in a manner that's difficult for people to give input, but I it's I think I think where there's smoke, there's fire. It's, you know, <laughs> there's there's an aware there's an awareness that it's not doing, it's not making it as easy as maybe it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe sometimes it's it's too easy, but, but, you know, there has to be the opportunity. So there's that they decided to defer it. And then this month, the, um, which is a a little bit, this was kind of a special action, a special meeting. Um, 
is it this this year or this coming year there there's the every four i think it's four years they have a cycle uh, where the federal board re reevaluates and takes proposals for changing the federal regulations mm-hmm. in these subsistence areas and uh based on the the proposals for this coming board cycle were published this month and there's four regarding um sitka blacktail deer in southeast alaska that um two two of the two of them are to reduce bag limit for non-local users and two of them are to close federal lands in these specific areas for non-local users wow um and and the, the you know these these are current proposals that are up now and you only have until i think it's july 19th to give to give submit public comment for it and uh it's just the same kind of deal you know i've I've seen the the alaska department of fishing game commentary opposing all of these proposals citing that they've recently upped the bag limit because the deer have been doing so well and that there's hard you know that there's very little hunting pressure there anyway right right yeah well logistically even on things that just say the layman from the lower 48 could afford logistically getting to Alaska to experience this stuff is like the biggest hangup. You know, it's three planes takes sometimes uh, 36 hours, 48 hours just to get to your final destination. Yeah, it Um, it certainly can. Yeah. Um, And, and most, you know, most people may never go hunt and you can't, you you can't say there are other places to go hunt, but it's the principle and it's what the, the precedent that this type of thing is setting, you know, they saw it pass in unit 13 now they tried to call and, and it's obviously, you know, unit 23, 26A, 60 million acres is, is a more visible, bigger, immediate impact, you know, so it was good to see the response to that. But also, you know, this is the same thing in an area of Southeast where the, the state managing agency is saying that there isn't an issue here, you know, that right, they're, right. or that the, the issue isn't that there's, that the deer are suffering or that there's too many hunters. Yeah. Oh, that was my point on the travel. It was like, yeah. okay, well, there's so many limiting factors on why yeah. the, the actual harvest is oh, probably yeah, yeah. very low. Um, you yeah. know, even if the tag isn't twenty thousand dollars like it is for a doll sheep. So yeah, I mean, I think what it boils down to is is just feelings of resentment towards non-locals. Mm-hmm. And you know, some sometime and it, it the threshold for for get, submitting these proposals is pretty low on the state level. I I don't know about the federal level. The state level, anybody can submit a proposal. Um, but it may it may take you know one or two people with some a couple bad you know with one bad experience and decide that they're that they're gonna try and keep it you know to and then snowballs into. All of a sudden, you know, this federal land, you can't go there mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. and, then, and then the more if if more of them start tipping over, it's going to be it's just it's going to end up that that you can't really hunt anywhere in the biggest state in the whole country. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to, I think it's important to define the subsistence hunter aspect. Do you have to yeah. be an indigenous person or just someone that like no. lives there? No, it's just where you it's based on where you live. Okay, no. so so would you say that, and I want to be careful is not to make it a, a race or like anything having to do with the color of someone's skin, but do the indigenous people feel like they have more of a claim to it? Or um, I mean, if you just, uh, I would uh, say, uh, go ahead. I, w- I would say, I would say, 
some do. I mean, just like any people, we're all people. Um, right. You know, it's, and I, I'm sure it's not it's not only it's not only the you know Alaska natives who in some of these areas that feel that feel that way. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of more of a human condition to. And I, in some ways I can understand their feeling that way because you, sure. you know, you live out in these places, you have a certain ownership of these places that, you know, it's like, just like, well, do they have reservations general, or their own X number? Of no, acres they, they're, um, there's, it's broken up different tribal or native corporations uh-huh. um, have, do have their own land allotments okay. that they can, you know, some of them will, will. And so you wouldn't be able to their, go and hunt on their land without their permission. No. Right. Okay. So this is outside of that. This is just like, you know, yeah, this is just, this is just general federal land. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a way to, it's a way to, that's been crafted to try and keep outsiders out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you you listen or read the meeting minutes and people will refer to, you know, they feel like they're being mistreated, which there's no excuse for that if it is happening, obviously. Um, But there, you know, there's all, there's two sides to every story as well. So there's, you know, this resentment to outside hunters just swooping in for hunting season when you live there all the time and, you know, you have it to yourself the rest of the year. Uh, I can understand the feeling of that, but that doesn't mean it's right mm-hmm. to, no, to really try and keep people, people from hunting there. No, oh, well, I mean, it would just set a terrible precedent uh, like you alluded to and who knows if, you know, if they did this in Alaska, start doing it in other states, other places, not good. Um, and like you said, they've already done it in Unit 13. We are going to take a break. We'll come back, switch gears. And I want to get your perspective on Trump's legacy when it comes to hunting and conservation. We'll do that next. Uh, that segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit lands the one thing they're not making any more of, whether that's in Alaska or Texas. However, Lone Star Ag Credit has been at this for over a century now, helping its borrowers make that dream of owning their own property their reality. They'll do the same for you. So head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com for more info. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, the wife and the kids and the dogs are gone. I can't get Jesus on the phone, but old Milwaukee's best. my best friend. Our night vision and thermal imaging has been helping hunters light up the night. For over a decade now, I've been with them for quite some time. Back in the early days, thermal optics were pretty expensive. You might not realize it, though. The average guy can get into a thermal rifle scope these days very affordably. I've got the Thermion XP50. Absolutely love that scope. It's got a diverse color palette, lots of options to choose from, whether you want white hot, uh, black hot, red hot, you name it. There's tons of options, literally. It's got internal recording as well, and it's got internal and external battery options. So you can hunt all night without having to worry about running out of batteries. You can find the Thermion XP50 as well as their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics right there at PulsarNV.com. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled, and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. So caught up now in pretending What we're seeking is the truth 
I'm just looking for a happy ending All I'm looking for is you Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for being here as we are still visiting with Alaska resident, outdoor life writer, uh, podcaster, and passionate big game hunter, Tyler Friel. Before we get back into that conversation, though, this segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. I've been using them for over a decade. Josh and Becky Gunther do amazing work. They offer fast turnaround time. You know, relative, like you're not waiting two years for your whitetail buck, I'll tell you that much. And they answer the phone when you call. I trust them. That's the bottom line. And uh, that's a big deal when it comes to taxidermists and those uh, those memories that you want to last the rest of your lifetime, you want to put on the wall. So whether it's uh, a trout from the coast, a whitetail from South Texas, an entire African safari, or anything in between, they've got you covered. And you can find them at GR, the number eight, mounts.com all right well let's go ahead and uh, pick it back up with tyler and you know switching gears here i wanted to ask you about trump opening up those drilling permits or auctioning them off anyway as kind of a parting shot to the biden administration although ben cassidy over at sci told me that a lot of presidents have have entertained this um it's nothing new he's just the first one that actually had the stones to do it so anyway, I've done some research and, and reading, and I've read conflicting reports of what Alaskans really want. Uh, some permits, drilling permits. Well, you know, living in Texas, we have oil platforms on every deer lease, every ranch in the state, and it doesn't affect wildlife movement. I mean, is it a little bit of an eyesore? Sure. Me, personally, Cable Smith, I don't want to be beholden to China or Russia or anyone else, anywhere else for yeah. oil. I think the more self-sustaining we are, the better. Not at the exp- expense of, of poaching um, the wilderness, you know, but what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know. I tend to be more in, in referring to this, these like uh, lease permits that went up for sale for um, Area 1002 in technically in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. It was, it was an area when they created the refuge this wasn't it wasn't supposed to be included in the refuge but they did but still left it designated for oil exploration uh-huh. um all this is basically adjacent to existing oil oil development it's uh maybe like 60 miles as a crow flies from the prudhoe bay oil fields um but there's there's you can see even on google earth there's drill pads on point thompson right up to next to the edge of this area. So mm. it's been a hot topic and, you know, 99% of what people hear is, is completely, you know, BS on it. Um, so there's people that there's, you know, interests that would like to explore and, and, and drill it for oil. I personally, I'm, I, I favor, I favor it more than oppose it, but I'm not like, a hundred percent convinced either way that it needs to happen right now. Mm-hmm. But there, there's a lot of people who are, they mischaracterize it. You know, there's, you know, Sitka gear was a, co- a company that they made a post with a bunch of photos, you know, of caribou up in the mountains and all this, this jazz. And I don't, I'm pretty sure none of those photos were taken anywhere near that area. Mm-hmm. One of them that people did, you know, did some sleuthing 
and found out the photographer took it at some lodge, you know, like 200 miles away, <laughs> you know, but they use these powerful images to, and then to, and then they put their narrative in there that this is and you know, some other, some other entities have said that, you know, they, they say it like, it's a matter of fact, like, Oh, well, this would be spoiling our last great wilderness. Well, they have, have no concept of just the amount of raw untouched wilderness that's up there. What about the 60 million you know? acres they're trying to close? You know, untouched. Well, wilderness. that's say, yeah, that's 60 million acres that isn't even near this area, you yeah. know, and I can't remember, I added up all of the, uh, you know, and it's, it's there, it keep, they'll, you know, just beat this dead horse of, oh, it's ruining the last Arctic. This is a pretty tiny area in comparison. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, just federal public lands, just wildlife refuges, national parks, and not including state lands. So I think it's wildlife refuges, national parks, service lands, um, north of the Arctic Circle. I think it's like half the size of Montana or more. And that's, oh, wow. that doesn't even include BLM land or state land. So, um, you know, there's that, and there's the concept of not seeing how the oil operations run up there, how, how clean they run, how, and how, just how much care they take and how much priority they take to not disrupting wildlife. Yeah. And when they were initially putting in the Prudhoe Bay oil field and going to build the pipeline, there was made, you know, they're saying the same things, uh, worried about the central Arctic caribou herd which is right smack dab in the middle of all that oil development. And they, I mean, they exploded and like grew exponentially after oil development. Huh. And a lot of those, I mean, those, a lot of those caribou like to hang around, you know, the oil platform. They can, uh, you know, and sometimes it's stay away from the, you know, the, the wolves won't bug them as much if they're right there. there there's different reasons, but, like it's a pretty healthy coexistence right there. Yeah. You know, so it hasn't no, had some profound negative impact on that uh, central Arctic. No, herd. no. The herd exploded. Wow. As, as development spread and grew the herd. Things you never hear too. about, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you know, the primary argument caribou wise is that this area 1002 is like the sacred, you know, calving ground of the porcupine herd, which is the largest herd. I don't know if it's in the whole continent, but you know, and they do cab there sometimes, but, you know, talking to some of the fish and game biologists, they haven't really been calving there in a while mm -hmm. specifically. And they calve all the way from basically over to the central, like the herd overlaps with the central Arctic herd. Um, they'll, they'll calve anywhere along that all the way back into Canada. You're talking about like half a million animals in the neighborhood of half a million animals, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes wow. herd will change, you know, sometimes these herds will, intermingle and, and a bunch of this herd will go with that herd and vice versa um and what you alluded to earlier is you know the way some of the these companies will companies entities you know hunting personnel well even in the hunting world unfortunately um you know eco personalities will they'll use the interests of, of or use the opinions of some of the native groups to just further their own agenda. They don't care what they think. Mm -hmm. If they care, if they cared what, if they cared what, what the native peoples thought, then they would do a little bit better job of, of learning what the real situation is. So the Gwich'in people um, who are live mostly on the South side of the Alaska range and who are, are referenced mostly or the folks around Arctic village 
um, a lot of a lot of these posts tagged Arctic Village as you know in their in their posts on this. Well, Arctic Village isn't anywhere near Area 1002. It's like a hundred some miles south of it, on the other side of the oh, Brooks wow. Mountain Range. Um, and now, th- and those people do do also depend on the you know the ca- that caribou herd. And their argument is if, if the calving gets herd gets disrupted up there, they're not going to have the caribou aren't going to move to the south and winter on the south side. They're not going to have the caribou, um, which, you know, you can take that concern as it is. You can agree, disagree, whatever. But the, the, the track record of how caribou interact northern Alaska oil development is it's it's not like you have to go very far. It's right adjacent, immediately adjacent to this area. Right. You know, we've got over 40, 40 years of watching and studying how how it how this stuff affects caribou so it's not like this um, new infrastructure is going to be coming no. down and they're going to be hauling all this new stuff i mean the the existing no. infrastructure to build and can you know um right next door to it essentially is, is already there yeah yeah and there would be so some, the roads you know, are would, so roads are already there and yeah not not in the area you know uh-huh. they would probably have to bring stuff out from point thompson and there like there's no denying there would be some disturbance and there like it, yeah. it it's gonna have it's gonna have some impacts but but one time i had a deer feeder set up on a lease it was like 400 acres and they this oil company had literally six months left to or their lease expired and they would lose the ability to drill there and go back to the family that owned it and um they they basically said move your feeder we're drilling here oh man i had this huge buck coming to that feeder you know what I moved the feeder. He went to the next feeder over just like, oh. you know, like it wasn't, Yeah. well, it pissed me off because it was right before the season, but it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. No, it's, and that's small you know, potatoes compared to this, you know, yeah, huge, people, people, but, people throw out these emotionally powerful arguments that aren't necessarily true or that wouldn't bear out or, you know, it, it's, it's natural to have concerns. I mean, I have concerns. I don't want to, see the place destroyed but does that sound weird to you personally though to hear a guy talking about a a deer feeder like as an alaskan not to me no No, i i bait bears so oh yeah okay yeah (laughs) but uh no i get it i mean every everywhere is a little different and every people there's reasons people do things differently in different places but um so all the you got all these big companies and entities you know throwing their support you know i stand you know I stand with them and, and all this. Well, they ignore the fact that the only the only native community in that 1002 area that's actually in the area mm-hmm. is Kaktovic. Um, and the folks there are want the development. Right. Right. Like they're pro development. They're asking. They're even they even tried to they even tried to get permits to do exploration themselves. And but U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, I can't remember exactly how it went, but they they had to do, in order to get this permit, they had to do a polar bear denning survey or something like that. And they, basically what happened was U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who manages that land, sandbagged them until it was too late for them to do their surveys to get the Mm. permits. Wow. So it was around, you know, just a a slimy roundabout way of preventing, preventing them from doing anything. You know, and the, like I've, I've read articles where people up there, they're very, can, some people, they're very frustrated because no one listens to them. You yeah. know, if they, if they, they only, these companies don't have any interest in what they think. It's only, only if, 
if that, you know, opinion lines up with their agenda Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. BS, you know? So in this kind of the same vein, I have my own thoughts about like what Trump's legacy for the outdoor community is like, we got the great American outdoors act passed. Yeah. Dingle, Dingle Johnson as an Alaskan who hunts on these public lands. I mean, look at the doll sheep behind you. Like we talked about Yeah. Um, this by and large, it's you're an Alaskan. This was your calling. That's where you spend your time. Was Trump good or bad for what public lands in your opinion? I think he was good. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, and I ask you this because I see so many other personalities in the hunting community on, on their podcasts, like championing vote for Biden. Oh, and, and, and they yeah, do it. Then they did it because they claimed Trump was a villain for, for public land hunting and public lands in general. And I'm just like, oh, show me where he did something. So that's why I'm asking you an Alaskan. Who yeah, lives there. no, no, that his the things, things, improved under that administration you know i can't you know he, he obviously wasn't perfect and i i can't say that oh he did just a tremendous was life-changing but things right. improved you know the obama administration we got in you know it's it's it goes back to what who the employee of the appointees these administrations are the people that they're putting in charge of the agencies that have control over our land up here and you know with obama you had these agencies push and they pushed through it was basically they decided they just decided that on federal lands they were going to make these regulations against some of them were against um you know some native traditional subsistence methods and means of hunting in certain places um and the other the other effort was to under undermine the states some of the states more liter, liberal predator control minded um oh, i remember uh, that yeah hunting yeah. regulations so you know like the, in in the ones that got attention were denning black you know hunting black digging black bears out of their dens and hunting them which the only there's only a very few people do that it's traditional native subsistence method of hunting in sure. northwest alaska but if you remember the media the photos that were being put up it was like a den of black bears and then basically saying all hunters are going into dens and clubbing black bear cubs yeah That's their, no, that was their narrative oh yeah which and wolves is BS. wolves too yeah which is bs and yeah. what and, hunter really uh, wants to do that i mean unless it's like yeah. a cultural tradition that you've that's been going on for centuries no no modern yeah. hunter was like oh yeah no. let me go into a den and club puppies or you know and it wasn't cubs. and it's not and it's not legal anyway right you right. know so you're a poacher if basically you know. they said you know it's like it goes back to creating a different set of regulations for federal land you know you can't do this well a few, you know it's been almost 10 years like uh eight or nine years that you've been able to in a lot of areas they started allowing you to shoot grizzly bears on bait stations which traditionally you know you're only able to hunt black bears on bait Mm -hmm. stations well um they've slowly started opening that up and it you know people were out crying oh well their their reproductive cycles much slower you're gonna they're just gonna slaughter them it's just not the case it's not what happened but it's turned into a very valuable management tool because a lot of these, you know, a lot of these areas, you, you can't, you know, you, there is no spot and stock grizzly bear hunting. You know, they just don't get hunted because there's no effective 
way to hunt them and even hunting them you know i and that's that's a whole nother podcast too i mean my well i'll put it like this i hunted black bear in alberta in the boreal forest like Mm -hmm. you have to hunt them out of a tree there's there's too thick you're not going to be able to find them it's not an effective way to to do it like to manage the herd like or the population it's just not possible no so and there's and there you know there's there's a lot of attributes that make you know make baiting and effective and like and good good method but and even grizzly bear like hunting black bears on bait and getting getting not like big mature black bears on bait is not easy mm-hmm. getting getting uh you know getting mature grizzly bears on bait or actually killing you know actually killing one on bait is an entirely different story it's it's pretty difficult but uh it, it's turned you know it's turned into a good management tool so anyway the feds you know said all right you can't shoot brown or grizzly bears on bait on federal lands and that i mean it basically closed millions of acres of federal lands you know maybe not all federal but um u.s fish and wildlife service managed lands so any wildlife refuge which up here the refuges you can hunt on um it, it's not an issue but there and this it just undercuts the state's efforts to liberalize these things in an appropriate like escalated manner to 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 use them as management tools Mm -hmm. so you know they the obama administration put that through and it was a big stink and uh then you know the trump administration reversed it and in some ways like pushed to you know the the result of whatever they did or didn't do was that we regained more opportunities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, from the trump administration so right yeah yeah it may yeah. i may not have been a great leap forward but it it, it meant something and it, we're certainly not we're with the current administration we are not going to gain hunting opportunities right right no go back it's preservation you know, so that's it, the it, you know so we will either we you know we're going to lose it at the best case it's going to stay the same but we're probably going to lose some and it's yeah. It's just like clockwork, clockwork, you know, now they're the, these new proposals and they're going to try anything they can to, to mm-hmm. push the agenda. That's just how it, how it goes, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I thought it was important to get a, an Alaskan's perspective on, on his legacy. And, and it's not coming from like a, you know, oh, Trump make America great again, or some kind of Trump apology thing. It's just all I ever heard from a lot of major outdoor news outlets was Trump is this villain for hunting and, and conservation. And, and I was just like, show me where. So yeah, I didn't uh, see any, you know, specifically conservation hunting opportunity type stuff related up here. I didn't see any, you know, anything I can complain about or any loss. I mean, I saw a net gain in opportunity yeah. and it didn't hurt, you know, only paying like almost $2, $2 a gallon for gas. Cause that's, yeah. It's another challenge for, for us up here, you know, it, everything's logistics, you know, and mm-hmm. nothing is close, you know, it, or whether it's airplane gas or boat gas or ATV, or you're, you got to drive your truck eight hours each way to go to a spot. Like it's, it's expensive to get places and, uh, and it's, you know, it's even more expensive when fuel's expensive. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I and really, the- and a lot of people are like charter flights, you know, a lot of, like to some of the areas I used to sheep hunt, it's, it's, you know, the, the regulation insurance and fuel expense and maintenance expense made it to where it's, it's almost, it's, it's not worth, I can't justify spending $4,000 for a round trip, you know, three hours up and three hours back. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. can't, it, 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 it's the, the regulation and 
the expense is working a lot of regular people out of opportunities that they probably should have. Mm-hmm. I was at the grocery store this morning and um, I, I looked, I, I was buying some limes for margaritas. I was like, I thought I, I, I thought I misread it or there was a typo on the price. And it was like five limes for $2. Like three months ago, it was, it was four limes for a dollar, you know? So the price of oh, limes has doubled. One lemon, 99 cents. Now, this is all subjective to where you live. Like Californians might yeah. be used to paying that. In Texas, yeah, we, we weren't. It's twice as expensive as it was three months ago. And it's because, yeah, well, yeah okay, now there's increasing fuel cost and uh, everything comes in an 18-wheeler. So, well, here's your here it is. It's now directly put onto the consumer to uh, bear the brunt of that cost increase. Yep. And, and to me, you know, it also comes down to, like you said, Trump, we, we gained access. We gained in the hunting and conservation realm. So if he's not really this villain and this threat, and these people, these other outdoor personalities are advocating, you know, vote for Biden, vote for Biden, then really you're just advocating to vote against the Second Amendment. If, all thing, if everything else is even, or, or as you alluded to, we gained under Trump. We didn't gain under Obama, and we won't gain under Biden. So you're still championing Biden for what reason? Just, huh, where there's smoke, there's fire. It's very interesting to me. But you know who doesn't have a hard time paying for it is people who, a lot of the people who are, are, you know, on their high horse, giving their opinions on, you know, Anwar drilling, this and that, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't, some of those, you know, some of the people that I, you know, I was most miffed at about giving their two cents without really, you know, that were in pretty assumptive and like insulting ways, they don't have any problem accessing places like that if they want to, (laughs) you know, it's, it's the regular people that end up, end up on the, on the short, getting the short end of the stick and having to, having to chisel a living, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so Tyler, where can folks find your, uh, your podcast? And if you want to give us your, your Instagram, all that good stuff, how can folks follow along in in your adventures? Yeah, man. Uh, my Instagram handles just, uh, the Tyler Friel and, uh, um, pretty ugly, pretty hard to miss. So, um, you'll be able to find that. And then my podcast is uh, called Tundra Talk and it's on iTunes and um, Spotify, and pretty much, pretty much all, most, all the major podcast apps. Okay. And it's just uh, a lot of, it's just, you know, me and me and my buddies shooting around here, but it's a podcast that I wanted to, and I think it, it does pretty well bring just a local Alaska perspective and, you know, we tell, tell hunting stories and try to provide some useful information for people who want to hunt up here. Um, but just yeah, like a real look at, at Alaska from the perspective of people who live here. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why I felt like it was so important to have you on to, uh, to talk about this stuff and, and I will reach out cause I, I do want to do a, uh, DIY caribou hunt. I've done some pricing and I haven't done it in the last year or so. Um, but I think you can do it for four or $5,000. Oh yeah. Um, you should be able to. Yeah. So yeah. I'll reach out to you on that front. Hey man, really enjoyed your perspective today. Thanks so much for jumping on and yeah, uh, thank I look you, forward man. to uh, crossing paths again, somewhere on down the line. Yeah. Sounds good. So there he goes. Tyler Friel, outdoor life writer, podcaster, Alaskan big game hunter, conservationist. Great insight there. Uh, that segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. Probably have no need for them up in Alaska, but for the rest of us that hunt whitetails each fall, 
I haven't found anything as effective as Big and Jay. I shot a nice buck with just his nose in a pile of it last fall. And uh, Henry can attest to that. He was there with me. But uh, anyway, you can find Big and Jay's entire lineup of whitetail attractants at BigandJay.com. Up next, we're going to switch gears and talk concealed carry and what goes into making a durable but also comfortable holster. We'll do that with Andrew Howard's VersaCarry right here on SCI's Lone Star Up the Three docks dropping forklifts on a three o'clock a.m. shift in the wintertime, man, it got cold. Selling guitars on the West Coast, going hungry, chasing ghosts around and around. We There's something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwaith, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season, fishing supplies. They've got foods like Anchor Tea, grass-fed beef, Dublin sodas, gourmet sauces, and a whole lot more. Also, Ace Hardware. From wall to wall, they have it all. Check it out. The Mills County General Store right there in Goldweight, Texas. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at 3curl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Spanking new stuff there from Flatland Calvary off their new record, Welcome to Countryland. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for dropping by SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show today. Uh, thanks to Mossberg, our presenting sponsor, as we've got a, a great topic to get into, because who doesn't like concealed carry or even constitutional carry, uh, which recently was passed in Texas. Uh, but we'll do that with VersaCarry's Andrew Howard momentarily. Also, real quick. Little Bird told me that Flatland Calvary will join the show next week. So uh, excited to have Cleto and the boys on the show. One of my favorite bands for a long time now. Um, all right. This segment is brought to you by Vortex Optics, by the way. And if you haven't seen, surely by now, you're aware of Vortex's awesome apparel lineup. Caps, t-shirts, leisure wear, hoodies, I mean, you name it, they've got it, including the new Sun Slayer. This thing is designed to keep those harmful UV rays off your body. So important there, comfortable, breezy. It's nice, let me tell you. And you can find it as well as their entire apparel lineup at vortexoptics.com and save 20% off all apparel with my promo code LONESTAR20. So check that out. Um, all right, well, let's bring on our next guest. Joining us now from Versicary, it is my pleasure to welcome Andrew Howard to the show. Yep, it's good to be here. 
some nice bucks there. Uh, is this like your man cave? This is, yeah, I call this the the wall of fame. So got obviously the moose, two deer off our place here in Missouri, and then the coos deer from Arizona and bear also oh, nice. from Alberta on the same hunt. And then the sleeping bird dog behind me make it up <laughs> at some point. But she's about 10. She's relegated her retirement to the, the old futon downstairs. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So is this the basement? You know, we don't really have basements in Texas. Yeah, this is the basement downstairs. Okay. So we finished this off, I don't know, a few years ago. So got the got the big big items here on the wall. So if I expand that anymore, I'll have to pick another wall to, to add stuff to, but you know how taxidermy can eat up some space pretty or quick. wives can frown upon things. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> hey, you get that out of the you can't put that in the living room. Well, where do you want me to put it? In your right. office or in your trophy room? Well, I'm running out of room. Yeah, pre-marriage, I had a black wildebeest in the, the dining room. So, And I have a mounted rattlesnake that's in storage. So we'll see things ever make it back out again. <laughs> that's funny. I, In order for my wife to talk me into having kids, which I, I wanted kids, but I wasn't as ready as she was. I was like, fine, we can try to have a kid, but I'm putting my biggest white-tailed deer over the fireplace in the living room. She's like, fine. <laughs> and then... You know, we had twins and I was like, okay, now I get three deer over there. She goes, no, no, no. We never assigned a contract on that. Right, right. <laughs> just you the just one. couldn't keep your hands off of me. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, but it does gonna... make you think about what to shoot when yeah. you're running out of space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to talk concealed carry and specifically holsters today. Um, I've been working with uh, VersaCarry very briefly um, through our relationship. You've yep. worked with them for a long time. Right. Um, been very impressed with the holsters uh, that you sent me. So just a little background. Um, how long has VersaCarry been around? So VersaCarry has been around, I think it's close to nine or 10 years now. The first holster was the, the zero bulk holster. So that was just kind of a plastic. I think I, the one I have is about eight or nine years old, mm-hmm. but it's basically kind of a plastic holster where it has a, a rod that basically goes into the barrel of the gun. So there's no, I mean, it hardly adds any thickness to the firearm at all. So that's where VersaCarry got their, got their start in the holster market. And then several years later started adding in the leather options and then some um, kind of compound options as well for holsters, but they've been around for yeah about 10 years now, keeping to add to the product line uh, made right there in Texas, um, you know, family owned, owned company and ran. So it's been a, a good working relationship and they make good products for a wide variety of, of, of firearms. Yeah. Which, um, Obviously, I love them because they are Texas made. Um, but as far as the products themselves, and I've tried, I've, I've run through so many holsters that were either uncomfortable or just really impractical uh, as far as like how bulky they were or how hard it was to get. I mean, if you ever need your firearm, you need it quickly. And some of those, you know, I don't have time for a snap. I mean, and other things like the guns getting snagged on a piece of, fabric because i'm trying to pull it out of the holster uh these are very streamlined and i would say you know with with it being this like this one i'm not sure the name of it i wish it had the names on them you sent me these but uh there is nothing to get snagged on it's leather on leather so the gun slides slides right out um just a piece of cake like that and that's um that's actually that's actually an uh, outside of the waistband, mm-hmm. but the ones that I like, and I did a video, I put it on Instagram of just me and my gym shorts and you could put 
your handgun literally on your gym shorts waistband, pull your shirt over it, and no one's ever going to know it's there. And it's not uncomfortable. Um, I mean, it's got padding in there, which uh, just the comfort. I think a lot of people, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people don't carry because it's uncomfortable. Like, I mean, that's I think that's probably the number one factor, right? Yeah, I'd say Why that's you carrying. Yeah, that's got to be the main one of the main ones you think about. Oh, I'll carry. And then you think logistically sometimes of how you're going to carry with different different outfits or, like I said, different times of years or uh-huh. all that, all that, you know, even, you know, in certain holsters, they can get pretty sweaty up against you, too. So there's a variety of things in there that I think prevent people from from carrying all day. But Inverse Carry has got a pretty wide range of stuff like the one you had. I think that might be the new Rough Rider outside the waistband. So it's an uh-huh. all leather one. Yeah, I think that's what the Yeah. And then, you know, from even on the inside, the waistband, they've got a lot of padded options or even smaller holsters that are, that are even slimmer. So it kind of depends on, you know, to, you know, what you're going to wear that day, where you're going to be, it does dictate on, on how you're going to carry. But if it's not comfortable, like you said, you're not going to carry. So first yeah. carry has got a pretty wide range of, of holsters that, that are not only hold the firearm in place, but also very comfortable for, to wear all day too. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm, sure people have been keeping up with what's going on in the world right uh we're not living in a bubble here but it's getting crazy out there man like and especially in some of the major cities that blue cities that have defunded the police i mean it'd be insanity not to be carrying people are just getting gunned down like it's the wild west um Mm -hmm. chicago comes to mind now we're trying to refund the police which we you know we wouldn't have defunded them we wouldn't have to refund them but uh violent crimes up 40 percent in all these major cities um it's it's crazy right now you need to be carrying and you know you mentioned like different uh, outfits and stuff this is a this is a sig i think it's a p238 so yeah it is so this is a smaller inside of the waistband uh, i'm not sure which model it is I think that might be the ranger the ranger okay this yep. is this one has been my favorite um like like i said that's just that's a 380 caliber but then you've also got inside the waistband options for here's a this is a 45. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's the uh, the Comfort Flex Deluxe. So that was last year one of the more popular holsters, and for this year they've done a few things to it. It's now optics compatible. So uh-huh. if you're running a micro like red dot sight on it, it'll work perfectly. Several of their holsters are optics compatible. Also, they've also added some more on the back of that one that closed foam cell padded backing super comfortable yeah a lot more comfortable but it also has a polymer insert on it so it helps keep the shape of the firearm help keep the shape of the holster while the firearm being you know holstered or drawn uh, for easier reholstering but it also keeps a nice shape to it so it doesn't collapse quite as easily but on the inside of that holster there's a lot of the holsters they have are leather lined so that that not only holds it in place but also protects the finish of the firearm too you know versus some other holster type so the leather not only helps keep it in place but also protects your finish of your firearm if you're you know using it a lot in that mm-hmm. specific holster yeah and um going back to what, what i was talking about earlier that that thing about the gun getting snagged i mean that's a real problem for me and some of the holsters i've tried previously and although and i'm sorry for the folks listening uh but we'll try to explain it as best as we can the back of the holster is padded right there but it is still lined with leather on the inside, both sides. So nothing to hang up on, uh, smooth draw and super comfortable. 
what are, what are these things like ballpark? Um, and I know some of them are cheaper than others. Like the original one that you were talking about earlier. Uh, I think those are like $25. They still sell them. Uh, these are probably closer to, I don't know, 35, 40 bucks. I reckon. Yeah. A little higher. I think on the comfort flex deluxe for that, okay. but you're going to get into pretty in that 25 to yeah 60 range. You'll find something that'll definitely fit for you. Another good thing. Verse carries running all kinds of specials on stuff. A lot of times too, on their email, email lists. Um, don't tell them about that. Tell them to use Lone Star. Oh yeah. He was Lone Star. Lone Star. When you check out for 10% <laughs> off, I believe is what it is. So yeah, check that one out first. But uh, yeah, there's a good wide range of stuff, but it's also very affordable. It's not like you're going to be pinned in to you know, purchase a hundred dollar plus holster and then, you know, yeah. not like it. I mean, they've got affordable holsters that will be very comfortable and fit a wide range of, of firearms too. Like the one you have fits mm-hmm. that, you know, full frame 1911. And then yeah. I've got it for my, I just bought a Springfield Hellcat. And oh, so nice. they, yeah, no matter what uh, firearm size you have, they've got a wide range of sizes available to fit your firearm and fit it well. But like you said to it, they're easy to get to. They don't snag up, but the trigger guard on these holsters is on, on the firearm is also covered up by the holster. So it's easy yeah, to get here, to, but we'll, we'll give a visual of that too. And this is yeah. actually a, I think this is a five inch barrel, a different one. Uh, so yeah. this is a bigger, uh, is this the Ranger? Yeah, I think that's the or Rough Rider, I think, rough on that rider, one. Okay, yeah. yeah. So on that one, it's easy. Like I said, it's triggers covered, but it's also yep. easy to get to the get to the handle of the firearm to, to draw it. So it's very easy to access it, when, you know, if need be. You know, if criminals use these, they wouldn't shoot themselves in the leg as often as they do. That's correct, yeah. <laughs> the trigger yeah, so you got a good holster that keeps everything <laughs> nice and covered up. I've seen so many videos. I mean, that's one of the uh, beautiful... I guess byproducts of social media is all these criminals that are running around trying to commit crimes. And they're like, Oh no, I shot myself in a Plaxico burst myself right, uh, right in the leg. So, um, to get yourself, all you crooks out there, get yourself a Versicure <laughs> and, uh, be more efficient at committing your crimes, I suppose, at least safer for you. Uh, I've also got, <clears throat> we've also got, um, additional magazine holsters here. Just goes right on your belt. If um, you need, I'm sure you've got that for all different calibers from the little 380 here that I have to 45 and everything in between. Yeah, and single stack and double stack. And they do have several um, like dual purpose holsters where it's got the holster for the firearm and the, the extra magazine holder is, is attached to it. Or you can buy additional ones that go you know, on the other side if you want to keep it. If you're right handed, you want to keep your, your extra magazine on the left handed side. You can easily do that too. What about for revolvers? Um, I personally, I, I want to get a revolver. It's amazing. I don't, I do not own a revolver. Um, certainly want to get one. And I'm sure that they have a full lineup of uh, holsters for, there's a ton of people that, that swear by revolvers. And the one thing you know about a revolver is when you pull the trigger, it's going to go bang um, every time. So I'm sure that uh, Versa Carry has, has something for them as well. Yeah, they do have a wide, they've got several revolver options, even from the uh, original like zero bulk. There's some different options. If you're, you're carrying a revolver, also just some other traditional leather holsters that do have a wide range. In addition to that, they also have many of the holsters are available in a left-handed model also if, okay. if, you're, if you're a southpaw. Uh-huh. Uh, what about Glock? I mean, that's the most, seems like the most popular um, handgun. I, I don't think there's anything out there that, I know more people that carry a Glock than anything else. I I'm loaded up with 1911s, love them, uh, but a bunch of people obviously swear by revolvers. Or if they if they do have a semi-auto pistol, that you know a lot of times it's a Glock. Not everyone's walking around with a 1911 on their hip. 
would a Glock fit in these, or are these designed specifically for a 1911? And there's no, it's uh, Glocks, about pretty much anything out there. I just ordered one for someone that's using a, a pistol that shoots the pepper balls, so I think oh. so. Um, there's a wide range of stuff. What you can do too is you get on the Versus Carry website, they have a really in depth sizing guide. So if you see the holster you like, click down on the sizing guide, and they have pretty much every model out there. So all the different size Glocks. You can also put in what barrel length you have too, depending on what you're carrying. And if you have any additional questions, the customer service team's happy to help make sure you get the right size holster too. One thing to remember too on the Versus Carry holsters is being leather, there is a little bit of a break in with them. So when you get them, you know, make sure the gun's empty put them in the leather holster, give them a little bit of a twist and then let them sit and they'll make sure that'll give it a good, a good seating. So it is a little bit of a, a break in on some of them. I've noticed it seems like the Smith and Wessons have a little bit larger trigger guard, just how they're set up. So they just take a little bit of a, a break in and then it's no problem from there. It just, you know, fits nicely to the, to the firearm. But uh, yeah, pretty much whatever, you're, whatever you're carrying, they have, if they don't have a listed on there. They'll make sure they find you the right sizing for it. So I think typically they have, we got four different sizes of, of holsters. And then from there, it fits pretty much everything. They also do other stuff. Uh, you sent me a rifle sling, a belt. Um, so other, you know, which are also leather. Um, see if there's anything else that I wanted to make sure we mentioned on the website, but regardless, use that promo code, uh, Lone Star to get 10% off of your order. And um, what about as far as sales go, we've seen what now, Andrew, what, like 8 million new first-time gun owners in the U.S. since the since BLM and the pandemic combined have just created mass hysteria. Um, has that been reflected with um, the, the um, concealed carry and holster industry? Yeah, it seems like when I thought, what did I read today, like 400,000 guns were purchased last month or something like that. So, yeah, whenever a firearm gets purchased, the the things that go with it usually come too from obviously on the ammo side of things, but also on you know holsters as well. So it's been a good, I say, a good time to not only if you're a first time gun owner to get get a firearm, but also to get the appropriate holster for it for you know comfortable carry, but also safety for you and and those around you while carrying too. So yeah, it's been a good match of it. And like I said too, if you're getting one one firearm, depending on how you're carrying it, you may need two or three different holsters to fit fit what you're doing that day or how you want to carry it. So it's been a, I'd say yeah. a good combo of the two. Has VersaCarry been able to keep up with that demand? I mean, we've seen it with, obviously, the, the ammunition industry is way behind. Um, and they can't keep up. Like, they're, they're making more ammo than they ever have. People think, oh, they're just jacking the prices up. Well, everything's more expensive. Right. You know, so, you know, everything costs more now. Um, and these ammunition manufacturers can't keep up with the demand. They're trying like hell, can't do it. Um, it's sometimes it's hard to find a gun. A lot of people just go into the store now and just say, what do you gun? Do you have that? I can actually get the gun and ammunition today and walk out of the store with and that's what they're, that's what, how they're buying their, their weapons. It's insanity. Um, what about with Versicary? Have they been able to keep up with that demand? Yeah. Demand has been kept up with, even with, you know, the, the increase of, of firearm sales. So it's been been good like i said made just there in brian texas not too terribly far from you so mm -hmm. uh yeah texas made and they've done a great job keeping up with with cranking out production and and all so that not everything's on back order right okay. yeah perfect yeah. so it seems like check out the website see what they've got yeah. in stock too but it's been you know they do a good job of keeping up up with things there hasn't been any that i'm aware of currently any long delays or anything 
like yeah. that on getting products out and okay, yeah, they do a good, good job of keeping keeping everything running over there yeah um what do you think about and i don't know if your state has a constitutional carry but how will that change or or will it change the way people buy holsters yeah we do so i think it i would see that as almost people because i'll tell you from my perspective i don't think it's going to change anything yeah i don't it may see maybe somewhat i think people that are going to carry probably went through the the classes and you know did that for the most part too i know where i'm at you can carry throughout the state but if you want to step out of the state you have to have you know the state's approved license uh-huh. so uh that may be where it, you know there may be a small increase but i don't see it as a huge huge barrier that's kept people from not carrying before but i'm sure yeah. there's going to be some people that will will now because of the the ease of it yeah well i i just for for example when we passed open carry say five years ago i strapped it up and walked into walmart displaying it proudly just to see if anyone number one knew that it was now uh kosher and number two if if anyone was like going to give me any weird looks nobody really even seemed to care i never did it again um say from maybe just running into a gas station you know stopping after a deer hunt or something but um I don't walk around with a gun on my hip and I don't really see many people doing that. That's why I was just like, I don't think constitutional carry is really going to change that much as far as the way that people carry It opens it up for more people to do it. But I don't by and large think people that are carrying handguns want other people to know that they have them. Like that's, that's part of the thing, right? Right. Yeah. And I can see that too. People still wanting to not necessarily draw attention to themselves if they are carrying or not, Mm -hmm. but I just yeah, want to be yeah. left alone, man. Right. That's right. <laughs> just leave me alone. <laughs> um, I think that's pretty much all that I wanted to get into today. Uh, so excited to be working with VersaCarry. And like I said, makes a great product. Is, I've been using them now for about six weeks. And I did put a gun in each holster and put it in the safe just to, like you said, let them just kind of mold to it a little bit. I think that's great advice as well. Um, they've kind of gotten broken in. And uh, yeah, two thumbs up. Highly recommend them, especially the inside of the waistband ones. Never found anything as comfortable as these. So uh, yeah, and one thing I, I didn't mention on the leather itself is actually water buffalo, and it's vegetable oh. tan, so it's very durable. It's a little bit thicker, but it's kind of a neat neat thing too. But it's very very durable, long lasting. Water uh, buffalo. That's cool. Have is water buffalo hide. Yeah, we should go hunt those sometime. Yeah, I did in. Oh, uh, several years ago in Texas, I got one. Yeah. Oh, they were nice. trying to get rid of them on the ranch I was at. So I was able to, I think I got like 600 pounds of meat that I took oh, home with me. Awesome. So yeah, if you do a water buffalo hunt, or it's available and where you're at in Texas, I definitely recommend doing it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and cool. Very tasty. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey man, I hope that you have a great rest of the summer and a wonderful fall hunting season. And I don't know if you're going to do any better than those two beautiful bucks on the wall back there but geez what did the one on the right score uh this one was like 168 and this one uh-huh. was 176 so off your farm yeah same blind different year two years in a row oh, goodness gracious and my That's dad awesome. killed another 170 out of the same blind the year this one was killed so it was you midwesterners are spoiled man that's right yeah. corn fed <laughs> that's right that's right yeah well hey i appreciate it brother all right thanks sir So there you have it, a little concealed carry conversation with our buddy Andrew Howard over at VersaCarry. 
And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Onyx Maps. You know, I came across this funny, well, it wasn't funny at the time, but looking back on it now, this funny image from me at 12,000 feet hunting mule deer in New Mexico. It's about a decade old. And I'm looking at a map, a printed out map of the unit. You know what? Those days are long gone. Now I use Onyx. It's so easy. Whether it's on your phone or on your Garmin, Onyx is an invaluable tool to help you plan out your next hunt. Or maybe you're on the hunt and you're trying to change tactics, looking for that geographical feature where you know elk are going to be bedded on the next ridge over. Well, Onyx will tell you the topography to a T. It's that easy. All you do, go to onyxmaps.com, use my promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out, and you'll get 20% off your Onyx subscription. Unfortunately, we got to go, got to get out of here flat out of time. Thanks to both of our guests, Tyler Friel and Andrew Howard. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Remember, Flatland Calvary coming up next week. Until then, Cable Smith. You guys have a great week in the outdoors. I want to see where that red river flows. See your whales burning in the night. Take this cowboy home.